As you watch this teaching, I would like to ask you to please subscribe, like, and comment so more people can see it. Welcome to Home Group. My name is Rick Renner. This is Monday, and Denise and I are waiting for you. And tonight, it's just me and Sister Renner. Hey, Denise. Hi, Rick. Let's have a good time at Home Group tonight. I agree. And Home Group, welcome. Our sons are out <coughs> and about doing other things in the ministry, and we're so glad that they are. Oh, yes, we are. It was our dream to have sons that would serve with us in the ministry. Yeah. And Philip served with us for years, but Philip is doing his own ministry in America. And by the way, you ought to look him up. Philip Renner, uh, he's all kinds of social media. Philip is doing a marvelous job. But Joel's in the United States right now. Yes. Meetings, and Paul is conducting meetings downtown Moscow with all kinds of leaders. So it's me and you tonight, and I'm very glad to be with you. I'm glad to be with you, honey. And Denise, tonight <coughs> we're going to talk about why we need the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You know, you would think that the gifts of the Holy Spirit had disappeared from the church because you very rarely see the gifts of the Holy Spirit in manifestation these days. In fact, of all of the churches that we go to, I could probably count on one hand churches where we're going to see some kind of spiritual gifts in manifestation. It doesn't mean that they disappeared. It just means we're not making room for them like we used to. During the charismatic movement, we waited on the moving of the Holy Spirit. We were waiting on things to happen, and things happened. But now we've kind of moved into a new age when churches have gotten so big and they're having so many services that we move people in, we move people out in order to accommodate more people. And in the process, which, and all of that's good, I understand it, I'm not being judgmental, we do the same thing in Moscow. We have multiple services. And we have to be very limited in our time because people come in and people come out. But that means while we've accommodated people, many times we don't accommodate the Holy Spirit to do what he wants to do in our midst. And sometimes it takes us a while to get in a position for the Holy Spirit to move. The Holy Spirit can move like that. He's ready all the time. But we have to get in a position for the Holy Spirit to move. And sometimes it doesn't fit in our schedule because we come into church thinking about problems at home and people's minds are busy. It takes a while to get in a position where the Holy Spirit can do His supernatural thing. And He wants to. We need the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The gifts of the Holy Spirit bring the supernaturalness of Jesus right into the church. And in our church in Russia, we had to find a way to make room for the Holy Spirit to move. And since we're so structured on Sundays, the Holy Spirit does move. If people have a word or a prophecy, we always make room for that. But we have made one service a week on Friday nights where there's no limitations. Whatever happens, happens. We remove all boundaries, all perimeters. We just leave it wide open for the Holy Spirit to do whatever He wants. And in our home group ministry, we also really make room for the Holy Spirit to move. But here's the thing. If you don't make room for it, it won't happen. You have to be very intentional about moving in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. That is why Paul told us to desire them. That word desire means you've got to put something into it. It takes effort for you to move in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But now you may ask, why do we even need them? Why do we even need them? 
Well, let me tell you a story. When Denise and I were growing up, we grew up in wonderful, wonderful Bible-believing churches. But our theology was limited in one way because we did not believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We really believed sincerely that the gifts of the Holy Spirit ended at the end of the apostolic age. And so we were both in a church that was called cessationist from the word cease. We believe the gifts of the Holy Spirit ceased. We don't believe that anymore. Well, you receive what you believe. And if you believe something doesn't exist, then you're not going to experience it. We just didn't have minds that were open to that. In my particular church, my pastor, whom I loved so much, I have such respect for him to this day, but he would even tell jokes from the pulpit about Pentecostals and Charismatics. And because our church was in Tulsa, he even told Oral Roberts jokes. I'll never forget him telling the joke about don't ever go golfing with Oral Roberts because all the holes in the green heal up. I mean, just so many crazy jokes about people who believed in miracles and healing. We had a woman in our church who had an encounter with the Holy Spirit and rumors of it began to circulate through the church. She sat on the right side of the auditorium right over there and she was shunned in our church. We treated her like she had a psychological problem because she talked about the Holy Spirit like he was somebody real who still worked. We just didn't believe that. All we really knew about the Holy Spirit was doctrinal, and that's important. Now today there's a lot of charismatics they have experience, but they don't have any doctrine. But we knew what the Holy Spirit did when he came in us, he sealed us, he sanctified us. We knew all that up here. But the only thing I personally knew about the moving of the Holy Spirit was in the end of the service, when our pastor would say, every head bowed, every eye closed, while no one's looking. And of course, we weren't supposed to be looking, but I was peeking to see if everybody else was closing their eyes. And he would come off the stage and he would say, Holy Spirit, I ask you to visit every lost man and woman with restlessness and sleepless nights until they come to Jesus. I heard that from the time I was a child. So my thinking, the only thing experiential the Holy Spirit did was come over the service like a divine ghost and he would plop on anybody that was not saved and give them restlessness. And if they didn't get saved, he would follow them home like a hound dog and would keep them up all night visiting them with restlessness and sleepless nights until they came to a place of repentance. That's what I thought the Holy Spirit did. Denise, how about you? Well, I thought the Holy Spirit, you know, in, in our church, all I knew about him was he was like a ghost and that at the end of the service when the pastor was calling people forward to get saved that this like ghost would kind of move in and the people would feel that they needed to get saved and go down the aisle and and fill out the card 
that's all that I knew that the Holy Spirit did. Well, and there's something else. I mean, I didn't even know he was a he. I knew I thought he was a it. Isn't that amazing? You thought it was an it. An it. We just were really ignorant. That just grieves me right knowing now. Knowing work with the Holy Spirit. Oh. And Denise, in my particular church, we believed that people, believe, people who believed in spiritual gifts, and particularly people who spoke in tongues, that they were just silly, carnal people. And our pastor, whom I loved, it really taught the Bible very well, but on this one subject, he was off. He would say, you know what? Just look at the book of Corinthians. Corinthians were carnal, and they were. Corinthians were carnal. He'd say, what else did the Corinthians have? Gifts of the Holy Spirit. Those gifts of the Holy Spirit were evidence of the Corinthians' carnality. And I remember thinking, that's right. Gifts of the Holy Spirit are silly little gifts that make people carnal. But guys, that is just dumb. Why would God give anything called the gifts of the Holy Spirit to make us carnal? That didn't make sense. Honey, we weren't thinking right. Mm-mm. But I remember thinking that the gifts of the Holy Spirit made people carnal because the Corinthians were carnal. So I did my research about why were the Corinthians carnal. You want to know why? Sure. Okay, tonight's a history lesson. By the way... Can I say something before you start there? Sure. I want to say that the Holy Spirit, He is alive. He's alive in me. He's alive in you. And that He's doing great things. And that His gifts are not dormant, that they are active. And I just got a testimony on Sunday. And and so I was ministering on Friday night. And the Holy Spirit, there's a word of knowledge that He was healing somebody's skin and uh, they hadn't been able to get rid of what was ever on their skin and uh and on sunday i haven't told you this on sunday this woman came to me and she held out her hand and her hand was so beautiful her skin was so beautiful on her arm she said she said this was all red and all itching because i was having an allergic reaction to some chemicals at work she said look and her skin, Rick, was absolutely Now ask beautiful. that woman if that gift is carnal or not needed. Of course it's not. Of course it's needed. It's needed. And, and Rick, it carries the love of God. And you need to order the whole series called Why We Need the Gifts of the Holy Spirit. You know, I'm a very logical kind of person. So I looked at this from a very logical perspective. I don't like ooey-gooey things. Kind of, I just, that's just not me. So I had to look at this really logically. You know what? It's logical that we need the gifts of the Holy Spirit. This will just put you on a firm foundation. It comes with a study guide, and there's a book that goes with it. Now, this book may not look very big. My goodness, Denise, this book is loaded. Ay, ay, ay. Why we need the, every question. Why we need the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Yep. It's loaded. Of course we need the gifts. But of I want to answer Spirit. why were the Corinthians carnal. Okay. Okay, you ready? But people need that book if yes, they want they to learn. And by the way, if you need prayer, tell us how to pray for you too. You can do all that by going online or giving us a call. But the Corinthians. Okay, the ancient city of Corinth was very, very rebellious. And it was dedicated to the goddess Aphrodite, who was the goddess of sex. So it was a real corrupt city filled with sexual debauchery, rebellious, rebellious, rebellious to its core. In fact, it was so rebellious, 
In the year 146, the Romans said, we've had enough of these Corinthians, and they squashed it and demolished it, and nothing was left but ruins, and the people abandoned the site. In the year 44, Julius Caesar, who believed, he really believed, Denise, that he was a direct descendant of the goddess Aphrodite. And he said, well, the ancient Corinth that we obliterated had a very good geographical location. We could really use that. And it was originally dedicated to Aphrodite that I descended from. So let's reconstruct the ancient city of Corinth. But nobody wanted to move there. It was, I mean, why would anybody move there? It was like a swamp. It was just filled with ruins and rubble. There was no reason to go there. So to lure people to the site, he said, okay, let's give an incentive. We'll offer land and city leadership to anybody who shows up. So he invited people to come, and guess who responded? Old soldiers, legionnaires, sailors, poor people, swindlers, people who would never have a reputation anywhere else. They all descended on the ancient ruins of Corinth, and they began reconstructing the ancient city of Corinth and rededicated it to the goddess Aphrodite, who was the goddess of sex. Why am I telling you this? Because the very foundation of the Corinth that we read about in the Bible, the moral founding fathers of that city were low-level, lewd, rude, crude people, legionnaires, people who cussed like sailors, they were sailors, people who were fornicators, and the city was dedicated to the goddess Aphrodite, who was the goddess of sex. So they began bringing prostitutes in because you needed prostitutes in the religion of Aphrodite. They even built a temple of Aphrodite. A thousand prostitutes worked all in the city, up and down in the brothels in the city of Aphrodite. Well, you put all those prostitutes together with these low-level men that have come from all over the Roman Empire, and the sex industry in Corinth just thrived. It thrived. Not only that, because it was located between two ports, one going to the west, one going to the east, people began coming from the west and from the east to the city of Corinth for sex vacations. They came from everywhere because in Corinth, you could do what you want to do and people at home didn't know what you did. What did in Corinth stayed in Corinth. So people would come to Corinth where there was all this sexual activity and they would just do whatever they wanted to do and sex slavery, sex abuse, the sex industry, it just flourished. Not only that, Corinthians were drunks. They were so noted for being drunks that if you were an actor anywhere else in the whole Roman Empire, maybe you were in Israel, maybe you were in Egypt, maybe you were in Rome, maybe you were in Athens, didn't matter where you were, if you were an actor and you were required to play the part of a drunk you were not called a drunk. You were called a Corinthian. In the Roman Empire, if you had a neighbor that was a drunk, you didn't say, my neighbor's a drunk. You said, my neighbor is a Corinthian. That was the reputation of Corinthians. They were known to be drunks. Not only that, just a little ways from the city of Corinth was another little town called Ismia. And Isthmia is where the Isthmian Games took place, which were the Panhellenic Games, which occurred once every two years. People came from everywhere to attend those games. And because they came to attend the games, and Corinth was the host of the games, 
it meant the sex industry boomed during the games. But not only that, the games were highly competitive, fiercely, fiercely competitive. Well, that competitive spirit in Isthmia came into the city of Corinth, where people were fiercely, fiercely competitive. Not only that, because it was a new city, swindlers came from everywhere, charlatans, swindlers, people who just wanted to make a quick buck. And in Corinth, you could make a quick buck. You could defraud people. You could have all kinds of schemes and make money. And swindlers and charlatans begin coming from all over the Roman Empire. And Corinth had a reputation of being kind of a low-level sex industry city filled with swindlers and drunks, a lot of abuse, where you could make money real fast. That was Corinth. So Corinth as a city, let's not even talk about the church, it was a carnal place. If you lived in Corinth, it is likely that you were going to be hurt in your life by sexual abuse. It is likely that you were going to have to deal in your life or in the life of your family with some kind of a chemical addiction. It was likely that you were going to feel the effects of horrible competition, fierce competition, raging between the members of society. It is likely that you were going to be hurt by somebody who came into town to swindle you with some kind of a racket or a scheme. That was the city of Corinth. Well, what do you read when you read the first and second book of Corinthians? You read that the city of Corinth had problems with sexual abuse, fornication. It was a real problem. There were swindlers in the church. There was one man who was having sex with his father's wife, and the church wasn't even dealing with it. They didn't even treat it like it was a serious issue. There were people taking advantage of each other, people suing each other in the church, and there was such a spirit of competition in the church that Paul addresses it in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, where he says, is Christ divided? What is going on among you? This competition is horrible. But none of this was produced by the Holy Spirit. They were just Corinthians behaving like Corinthians and they got saved. But guess what? When you get saved, you get a new heart, but you don't always get a new head. And sometimes when you get saved, you still have old habits. That's why we have to renew our minds. And when all these people got saved and came into the church, they brought all that junk with them into the church. And that is why the Apostle Paul wrote, listen to this amazing verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, look at this, verse 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Then he says this, Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And then in verse 11, the King James Version makes this so sweet. And such were some of you. Well, that's pretty kind. The truth is, such were almost all of them. But Paul's being kind. Look at the list. First, he mentions fornicators. What was Corinth known for? Fornication. Idolaters. Temples all over the city of Corinth. 
adulterers. By the way, there's a difference between fornication and adultery. Fornication can be committed by anybody not married, any kind of sex outside of marriage, but adultery is when a marital member commits adultery. Effeminate, the word effeminate, it really describes men sleeping with men. It's talking about homosexuality. That's what my translation says. Abusers of themselves with mankind. So another form of sexual abuse. Nor thieves. You know what the word thieves is? Swindlers. Rackets. People who come with schemes. Nor covetous. People in Corinth were covetous. They were all out to make a quick buck. Drunkards. <laughs> then it says, nor revilers. That's foul mouth. Then it says, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Well, there you have That is the city of Corinth. And these people got saved. And Paul says in the next verse, and such were some of you. And honey, really, Paul is being very kind there because it was almost all of them. If you look at the membership of the Corinthian church, that's who they all were before they got saved. But then he adds, but you are washed, you are sanctified, you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God, which means who you used to be is not who you are now. They were now washed. They were justified. They were sanctified. God saved them. But they still had some problems. But what is amazing to me is even with all their problems, the grace of God was poured out among them and the gifts of the Holy Spirit flourished, flourished. And in fact, we may know more about the Corinthians' problems because the gifts of the Holy Spirit were so mighty among them. Because when the gifts of the Holy Spirit work mightily among you, for example, prophecy or discerning of spirits, it exposes things. Sin, which can lie into the surface, it can't lie into the surface when prophecy is working. Prophecy identifies it, calls it out, and commands it to be cleansed. The gifts of the Holy Spirit moved so mightily in Corinth that it exposed all these things so they could be changed. Well, Denise Renner, when I read this list and I hear about all this, do you know what it sounds like to me? Modern society, chemical addiction, sexual abuse, schemes, covetousness. It's modern society and actually sounds like a lot of the modern church. But if they could move in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, even with all of their hang-ups, it means we can too. And the gifts of the Holy Spirit will clean us up. They clean us up. We need the gifts of the Holy Spirit because the gifts of the Holy Spirit exposes all those blemishes, brings them to the surface where the Spirit of God can expunge them from us. Denise? Well, I'm thinking, what would they have been like if the gifts of the Holy Spirit weren't operating? Oh, my goodness. They would have been. They, they would have really been stuck. Scary idea. In their, in their habits. And, but the Holy Spirit, I mean, when he comes, he's so wonderful. He comes and he deals with secret things in our heart. And actually, he's the only one who knows the secret things in your heart. Because the Bible says he searches the inward parts of your heart. And he's the one who will bring them out and reveal them. And so, Rick, I mean, if they didn't have the gifts of the Holy Spirit, 
a lot of them would have just been really stuck in their in their ways. They needed the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They needed them. It was a divine operation to clean them up. And honey, we need the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And that's why you need to get my book called Why We Need the Gifts of the Holy Spirit. We have to have the manifestation of spiritual gifts. You need it in your personal life. You need it in your church. You need it in your home group or Bible study. But you're not going to experience it unless you make room for it. You have to be intentional to make space so the Holy Spirit can be. Why would you make space for people but not make space for the Holy Spirit? So you have to make space for it. But Denise, we're out of time. This has been good. But we're going to be back tomorrow night, and tomorrow night is once again going to be just me and Denise. And we're going to talk about the eruptive power of God that exploded in Corinth when Paul came to preach. It's going to be so good. We'll see you tomorrow night. Bye-bye. If that teaching helped you, would you please subscribe, like, and comment so more people can see it. 